Welcome to the Baby Tribe. I'm Katie Mugan from NursingMama.ie, a paediatric and public health nurse and a lactation consultant with over 20 years experience. And I'm Afif Al-Kafash, a neonatologist and paediatrician and a lactation consultant with over 20 years experience in newborn care. And together, we are your hosts. Welcome back, everyone. Episode three on what lies ahead. First off, Afif, how are all the babies in your baby clinic? They're all doing well. Yeah, they all say hello. Great. Well, today we are going to kick off this segment with Afif's nerdy uh, segment of the week. We're doing a bit backways this way. What I wanted to talk about this week is the recent Lancet group of articles that were published a few weeks ago talking about the marketing of formula products, because this episode is all about navigating the world of formula, because it can get very confusing. And I know when I first started into paediatrics, I was overwhelmed with the variety of formulas that are out there. There is a huge amount. And I think you're right. So many parents haven't a clue and it's about asking friends and family. So we're going to break it down for you. And I want to be clear before I launch into what I'm about to say is not a criticism of the choice that parents make. What we are about to criticize is the marketing of formula product. So what did the article series talk about? Well, they talked about the marketing of formula products and the gist of the articles is kind of highlighting the underhand marketing strategies that are designed to prey on parental fears and concerns during a, let's be honest, a very vulnerable time. So true, uh, Afif. And what I will say is I find even myself, and I'm sure many of you will agree that when you're on your Instagram or your social media, I get pop-ups all the time from large formula companies, you know, with their advertising campaigns. And it's so well done how they market and target vulnerable parents. Yeah. And even if you're trying to look for information on the different formula types and you're trying to look for unbiased information, when you do a Google search, the first maybe 10 or 20 lines that you get on Google are actually advertisements on formula products, not unbiased information. And why does that happen? Well, this shows you the immense economic power accrued by formula milk manufacturers. And this power is often deployed both in a political sense and an industrial sense. Our problem is that the industry kind of remains somewhat unregulated. And on the flip side, services supporting mothers to breastfeed are under-resourced. So you have this double whammy of allowing formula companies to advertise as much as they want and supports for mothers that are breastfeeding aren't really there. And that's a universal thing rather than a local thing here in Ireland. So what the three paper series outlines is how typical infant behaviours, and we spoke about that in our previous episode, Katie, such as crying, fussiness, poor night sleeping is often portrayed by the industry as pathological, meaning that they are bad and they are framed as reasons to introduce formula. Your baby's fussy, here's formula to settle them down. Your baby's crying, here's formula to settle them down. Your baby's not sleeping, here's formula to let them sleep for longer. Where in fact that these behaviours are actually common and developmentally appropriate. A lot of the time when you see the ads, manufacturers can actually claim that their products can alleviate discomfort, they can improve nighttime sleep, and they infer that formula sometimes can enhance brain development and improve intelligence. None of these things are actually substantiated. The real issue as well is what they advertise. So formula companies are prevented from advertising the first formula that is actually really the only formula that parents need 
for the first year after delivery. And we will talk about that and expand on that later on in this episode. But what they can advertise are the infant follow-on and toddler and grown-up milks. They use the same branding as the original formulas, I think, to create a bit of confusion. They use numbered progression. They aim to build brand loyalty. And to be honest with you, it's a blatant attempt to circumvent legislation that prohibits the advertising of the first infant formula. They have a lot of dubious marketing practices as well. There's often lobbying with government, and that's sometimes done covertly in kind of trade associations and other groups. And they sometimes offer teaching websites and teaching opportunities in the same vein as beer companies promoting responsible drinking. You know, kind of they lure you in with information and then they start advertising their products to you. And a case in point, I suppose, that was highlighted by the Lancet was what happened in 2018 when Ecuador was really trying to enforce the World Health Assembly practice to kind of protect and promote breastfeeding. The United States actually threatened to enforce trade sanctions and withdraw military aid to Ecuador if they went ahead with with their endeavor. It just shows you the power of lobbying. Wow, that is huge. I didn't actually realize that in 2018 that that occurred. But it is so, I'd say it's more prevalent than we are even aware of. And I suppose it is really important that some mothers will choose not to breastfeed. And this isn't about not educating parents about formulas, because I do think many parents do, but it's just how it's done. Yeah. And this is really important to emphasize. Women choose not to breastfeed and that is completely acceptable and should be supported. But where they get their information is the crucial bit. I think families need to be protective from the predatory milk formula companies in their advertising and information provision, and they need to get their information from reliable sources, healthcare providers. And that's what we are here to do in this episode. Absolutely. Okay, so what are we talking about today for our main topic? Well, we are going to hopefully navigate the world of formula and we are going to go through all the sort of commercially available formulas out there and advise parents on how to best approach using formula. We're not going to name actual formula companies. We're just going to talk about types of formulas and go through them individually. The most important one is the one that we need to start with. And those are the formulas referred to as first milk. So you will often see on the package, they're numbered as number one or the first milk. And you'll see different brands calling it different things, but there's the number one there and they're referred to usually as first milk. This is the only formula that your baby needs over the first year of life. And beyond that, they switch to normal cow milk. And what I will say is you will find how these formulas are a little bit more expensive often or more often than not than the what they class as number two formulas. And this is a great marketing ploy to get people to change over to stage two formulas when it comes to the baby turning six months. So let's expand a little bit on why the first formula is the formula for your baby from birth until 12 months of age. These formulas actually try and resemble the protein, carbohydrate and fat composition of breast milk. Protein is usually divided into whey and casein. And the whey component of protein is usually more liquid, more easily digestible, while casein is more likely to cause larger, more indigestible curds when it goes into the stomach. So casein is the thicker component. Breast milk will have more whey than casein and the whey to casein ratio in the first few days 
or the first few weeks of life is about 80 to 20. So 80% of the protein component is whey and 20% of the protein component is casein. As the milk matures, the whey proportion of the protein goes down and it settles on 60-40. So you have 60% whey and 40% casein. Why am I rambling on about this? Well, I am rambling on about this because that is the makeup of whey to casein ratio in the first formulas. They contain 60% whey and 40% casein. So for infants who are not breastfed, these formulas should be used as the sole source of nutrition up to six months and then alongside complementary foods up to 12 months of age. Absolutely. And when we talk about these formulas, when you uh, when your baby starts on one in the hospital, if that is the method of feeding that you choose, just be aware that they are ready made. So when you go home and you actually maybe potentially move to the powdered based formulas when you start making them up individually, what you may find is your baby can be a little bit unsettled. We do, um, Afif, I think you'll agree that it is recommended that we don't keep chopping and changing with regards to formulas. So if you pick one, you stay on it because it can take time to if you're transitioning over to a different type, the same as if you are changing over from a ready-made to the powdered formula, you might see your baby just a little bit digestively unsettled for a very short period of time. But that does not mean that you should change to a different brand. So pick one brand. And generally speaking, how you pick it is often down to family members or, you know, what people have recommended to you. All stage one formulas are pretty much all the same nutritional content. There is no one really better than the other. And they are all perfectly nutritionally complete uh, to feed your babies. And that's a very important point to make, Katie. I think a lot of the manufacturers will try and pitch one against the other and say we're better because of this, we're better because of this. But really, by and large, they all have to adhere within strict guidelines that they all have to be nutritionally the same. So pick one that you are familiar and comfortable with and stick with it. Absolutely. I think you're right when they say they'll always try to say one's closer to breast milk than the other. Basically, you can't get closer to breast milk. They are all perfectly fine, but don't be sold by what they are marketing to you. So next up, we're going to talk a little bit about those hungrier milk formulas. We hear it all the time. I am constantly asked, my baby isn't uh, settled in between. They're taking more volumes. We're going to move over to the hungrier formulas. But we know they aren't what they are. So tell us, Afif. So yeah, so remember when I was rambling on about the weight to casein ratio, well, the hungrier baby formulas are predominantly casein. So the ratio of weight to casein is 20 to 80%. So they are predominantly casein. So remember, the casein component is the more indigestible curds. There is no real evidence that this helps a baby settle to better sleep or sleep for longer periods of time. They are often pitched as formulas that are designed to keep a hungry baby at bay, but they actually, in my experience, cause more problems than they actually solve. They have slightly higher carbohydrate and protein content, and that's balanced by slightly lower fat content. And that, although that maintains the total energy value, again, the predominant casein component is not really something that babies are designed to accept or tolerate. And in my experience, it may lead to more tummy cramps, it may make babies constipated, and they cause more problems than they solve. So in my practice, I never really have any situations where I can recommend casein dominant or hungry baby formulas. And again, if you look at the various brands, they're often advertised as hungry milk, um, infant milk for hungrier babies, or hungry infant milk, and so on and so forth, extra hungry. You know, they usually have the term hungry in them. So I would avoid these at all costs. 
Yes. And what I will say is you, I find uh, many babies will actually still want that extra ounce of formula, but now they're going to be more digestively unsettled. So we would always recommend that your baby stays on a stage one formula, but you may increase the volume if it is a necessity. Again, look at how you're feeding your baby. Look at a more paste feeding method rather than uh, the more traditional hold where a baby just gulps down that bottle in a few minutes flat. Next, we're going to talk a little bit about follow-on milks. And these are the milks suitable from six months on. So you'll often find these are advertised as stage two formulas, big number two. And I suppose when you've got one, two and three labelled on a product, this kind of means for most parents, it's something that you have to move on to the next stage on. So there is a clear statement from the World Health Organization saying that follow-on formulas are unnecessary. And as you said, a baby should stick to the first stage formula for the first 12 months exclusively in the first six months, and then along solids from six months onwards. The thing to remember here as well is that these formulas sometimes have a higher amount of iron in them. And there is some data to suggest that if you increase the amount of iron in formula well beyond the kind of recommended levels, that it may impede the absorption of other trace metals that are important for your baby's development. So they can potentially have an adverse effect on growth and development. And the most important thing to remember in the second six months of life is that infant needs a whey-based first infant milk as breast milk substitute if they are not breastfed alongside a good variety of foods. There is no real evidence that the use of follow-on formula offers any nutritional or health advantages over the predominant whey-based infant formula among formula-fed infants. What I will say to any parents out there is if your baby is on a follow-on formula and your baby is settled on it, this is this does not mean that you should change them off it. This is just highlighting you don't need to move your baby onto it. And if you are moving from a breastfed infant to a formula-fed infant, you can still move to the stage one formula. You don't need to move to a stage two. But if your baby, as we have said previous, is happy and content and your baby is already on a stage two, you leave them on it. Next up is the good night milk. Yeah, I I think we need to give a special mention, not in a good way, to the good night milk. These milks are usually pitched for infants in the second six months um, following delivery. They are predominantly casein based and they also contain cereal thickeners. They also have a lot of starch that kind of results in making the milk creamier and the carbohydrate content makes the milk more satisfying in them. There is no evidence that good night milk improves sleep. And I think that this is an underhand way for formula milk companies to undermine breastfeeding by convincing parents that children aged six months plus should sleep longer at night. There's a lot of studies demonstrating that even in the second six months of a baby's life, that they don't go into a proper circadian rhythm, meaning sleeping all night and awake all day. They still need time to adjust to that adult pattern of sleep. So don't be influenced by these milks to try and improve your baby's sleep. Now, what I will say, and I know quite a bit on formula feeds, I don't think I've ever seen the good night milk on the shelf. Not recently. So I'll be interested to see, are they sold online more or are they in certain pharmacies or where they're actually sold and marketed? So it's an interesting one because they are around and I've heard of them, but I just haven't seen them and being used much uh, very frequently, which is positive, I think, Afif, that hopefully many parents aren't thinking that they should be using these. That's a good point. Although I don't think they're available on the shelves, they're still available to purchase online. Yeah, yeah. Next, 
is the growing up milks and toddler milks. And this is something as a public health nurse, I was asked about all the time. And even when I do a lot of weaning consults and I'm talking about weaning from breastfeeding, um, I get asked, I, I suppose many parents believe when they're weaning from the breast after the age of one, they still feel that when they are weaning, they need to substitute a breastfeed with a, uh, a milk feed. Advertising of these toddler milks leads to many of them thinking that, oh, these must be better than normal cow's milk. And that is not true. As a public health nurse, we would always avoid and generally don't recommend these products at all. Moving on to full fat uh, cow's milk, possibly with the added vitamins, vitamin D as well, is much more beneficial than the toddler milks. I have a big problem with these milks, um, Katie, and I'll tell you why. These milks currently fall outside any compositional regulations. If you look at the composition of the macros, by macros I mean fat, carbohydrate and protein, they have almost twice the amount of carbohydrates that is present in cow's milk, and they also have about a third of the amount of protein that is present in cow's milk. So they are designed to be sugary, to be sweet and to get kids hooked on them. Formula companies often claim that they are inspired by breast milk research. Well, this is an example of how their manufacturing is anything but inspired by breast milk research. If you want it to be inspired by breast milk research, then you should look at the composition of breast milk of mothers that are feeding beyond a year of age. And if you actually look at the composition of breast milk of mums feeding beyond a year of age, you will see that actually the amount of carbohydrates goes down rather than up. And the amount of fat and protein goes up because a developing baby beyond a year of age needs good fats and needs good proteins for adequate development. Follow on or growing up milks have the total opposite of that. So I would avoid these at all costs. There is never an indication to give your baby growing up or toddler milks. Absolutely. And what I will say is that after the age of one, we are trying to reduce down the milk composition in a diet, in a child's diet. We are actually looking that it's a milk is a great source of calcium, but it's a poor source of nutrition to a certain extent. So what you're looking at is a portion of milk in their breakfast cereal, uh, yogurt possibly, and some cheese. There are three good portions of calcium within their diet. And then if they're looking for an extra cup of milk, then that's fantastic. But like you said, those formulas, the toddler formulas are very high in sugar and really does, you will find the toddlers tend to love them. Parents, in fairness, believe that it's the best port of call moving from one formula to this branded toddler milk when actually a full fat cow's milk up until the age of two is all that's required. And I've seen many parents experience difficulties in trying to get their babies off these um, follow on milks because of the amount of sugar in them. A lot of them also have flavorings like vanilla and such to keep babies hooked on them. And just to say with that, we are seeing more and more kids with dental caries um, now. And a lot of this is down to, I suppose, continuing on those high sugared formulas when it's not necessity at that point. Excellent. We are now going to move on to some specialist formulas that you may see on the shelves. And the first one I'd like to start with is the comfort brands. Now, I will say, and I know you're probably going to go against me, but I don't think these are the worst formulas. I wouldn't generally recommend them, but in some situations, and I know there's no clear evidence to suggest that they do improve constipation and windiness and things like that. But in some elements, I will say I have seen some babies more comfortably digestively. That does not mean I'm advocating for them because I can, I'm looking at Afif now ready to jump at me. But out of all the formulas you have even suggested, these are potentially one 
that it, I wouldn't consider the worst on the market. Hit me, Afif. Katie, you have misjudged me again. Oh, I thought he was going to come at me, ladies and gentlemen. I have been known to recommend the Comfort brand once or twice. But what I wanted to say about them is, first of all, I wanted to describe what they are. And I also wanted to, I suppose, advocate that I would recommend talking to a healthcare provider before you make the choice to move on to them. So what are partially hydrolyzed formulas? Well, they actually have 100% whey protein. So you'd think they might be lighter. However, they balance that with adding some structured vegetable oil to kind of maintain some sort of thickness on them. Because if you had a completely whey-based formula without a thickener, they're, they're very, very light. They also contain lactose at a lower level. They're sometimes pitched as better tolerated milks, but I don't think there's a basis for that. The protein component of those formulas is partially digested. By partially digesting the protein before adding it to the formula, that it may be better tolerated by babies. Now, I agree with Katie that they may be beneficial in certain situations. If you look at the studies, however, there's no convincing evidence provided by the manufacturers to support the efficacy of these milks in preventing colic, wind, gastrointestinal discomfort or regurgitation. And folks, we are going to have an episode directly dedicated to the fussy baby, especially over the first few weeks following delivery. So we will expand on this in a different episode, but that should always be done following discussion with your healthcare provider. Absolutely. What I will say about these is oftentimes they will be more thickened than your stage one formulas. So you may need to go up a size in teeth and I would find the majority will have a green stool. So just be prepared. It can be very different um, and it generally doesn't tend to change. Now, the ones that I am ready to have a fight on, um, Katie, are the anti-reflux or regurgitation formulas. Now, I will say with these ones, I don't recommend ever. These are a great marketing tool to target reflux babies. And I think they actually cause more issues than they do prevent. We need to actually try and disagree on something to make the <laughs> podcast a bit more exciting. We keep agreeing with each other. But anyway, I agree with Katie fully. I don't think there's a role for these thickened infant formulas unless there is a very special medical need. I don't think parents should try them without talking to a healthcare provider. They contain a cereal-based thickener. The thinking is that especially in babies with reflux, and again, I think we'll expand on this a bit more in our episode dealing with reflux, that once they hit the stomach, they tend to stay there and not regurgitate. But once they hit the stomach, they actually form a very kind of thick jelly-like substance. And I think it causes more issues than it solves. Again, the casein component is much higher, and I don't think that I would recommend them for routine use. No. What I will say about the reflux, uh, anti-reflux formulas, I should say, is that they often lead to more constipation in infants. And it's how they're also made up is what an issue I have, because we know, and I will be talking about how bottles are made up. You boil the kettle, leave for 30 minutes. With these, they have to be cold. Uh, the water must be chilled before you add the formula because otherwise it activates on heat. 
So there is a risk as well of possible contamination within the product that can lead to more issues for the baby. So for that way, I would actually avoid what I will say is if we're looking at thickening a formula, I would be more likely to look at your stage one formula and it's more recommended that you would add a thickening agent and remaining on the stage one rather than moving to these anti-reflux formulas. But like you said, we're going to talk more about that later on. And guys, I will say, and I was highly educated, I did use one of these on Lily because I was at my wit's end to no avail. They did not help and if anything, worsened the situation. Yeah. And just to, to, to be clear, these are usually labelled as anti-reflux or stay down formulas. Yes. Okay. Finally, we're going to talk a bit about the non-cow based formulas. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about the soya based infant formulas. First off, let's see what's your take on them. I think they have a very limited indication in the care of babies in very specific circumstances where there is a risk of a baby being exposed to camel protein formulas. And that is in cases of galactosemia. So they should never be used without medical supervision and a medical indication. So these soy protein based formulas contain a protein from soybeans and the carbohydrate source is from glucose. So they contain no animal protein or lactose, but I still wouldn't recommend them for a couple of reasons. Because the carbohydrate source of these formulas is glucose rather than lactose, there is a potential for them to cause dental caries. And again, The other thing to mention here is the concern about the presence of phytoestrogens in soy protein based milks. So phytoestrogens are sort of estrogen analogs. They're hormones that are naturally present in soy protein and these formulas contain them. Now, there is a theoretical risk now that has not been substantiated. There is a theoretical risk that it may have a longer term impact on future reproductive health in babies that are exposed to soy milk. It is fine to take soy milk for a small period of time if medically indicated, but there is a theoretical concern about longer term exposure. And I think working with your healthcare provider as to what formula best suits your child if there's issues is important because sometimes these don't need to be used. Looking at um, extensively hydrolyzed formulas may be a better option. So cow's milk protein free formulas if there is an indication of cow's milk protein tolerance or things like that. But again, work with your own healthcare provider. And finally, goat's milk formula. This is a big one. So this, uh, I remember when I started out in nursing many years ago, in paediatrics, um, goat's milk was all the rage formula. And then it was obviously not, a, it was taken off the markets and it wasn't recommended as a sole source of nutrition for the first six months of life. However, the Food Safety Authority have returned and they have said now it is acceptable for the first six months of life. However, I wouldn't pick to start on a goat's milk formula straight off uh, for no reason. I also um, see it being, you know, discussed on forums and boards, as in if your baby's unsettled or agitated, move straight off and move to a goat's milk formula. And again, we often find that if there is an intolerance, the main intolerances generally we see in infants is down to the cow's milk proteins. Goat's milk protein is quite similar to that of the uh, cow's milk protein. So we don't actually recommend using a goat's milk formula for a CMPI, which is a cow's milk protein intolerance or an allergy. So I'm on the fence on this one. I know there's many parents that actually swear by it. And I'm sure if you asked my mother, she would also agree. The older grandparents 
firmly believe in goat's milk. I'm on the fence. What do you think, Fief? I would recommend them um, for the reasons that you stated, but also the whey casein ratio in the goat's milk formulas is 20 to 80. And that reflects the natural composition of goat's milk as the main source of protein. If, if it's used in a formula, goat's milk is predominantly casein. Again, I wouldn't recommend formulas that are predominantly casein and goat's milk falls in this category. And isn't it funny because most parents will say, oh, the goat's milk is so much easier digested when we know the casein, the casein pro protein is actually harder to digest than the whey protein. So, yeah, interesting. I wouldn't generally go down this route. Great. So I think we have gone through pretty much all the formulas that are on the market. I suppose the one that we haven't discussed would be the lactose-free formulas. Oh my God, I think, Afif, we are nearly telepathic at this stage because I was just thinking in my head, that is the one formula that I still hear people talking about. Primary lactose intolerance is not common in the infant. Generally speaking, True lactose intolerance in a small infant is generally following a gut insult, a gut assault by a gastroenteritis or something to that extent. And in that way, we would generally move on to a lactose free formula, but only for a very short period, four to six weeks, generally speaking. And then we try to revert back to a normal stage one formula. We shouldn't stay in a lactose free formula continuously. Very well said. And before we move on to the final segment, Katie, you're going to tell us about how to prepare a bottle. Yes. So very quick and very briefly, because this is a topic of discussion that comes up over and over again. So empty out that kettle, fill it with fresh water. Generally speaking, we say a litre into the water, into the kettle, boil it and then allow to sit for 30 minutes. The reason we allow it to sit for 30 minutes is to roughly let the temperature settle to about 70 degrees. This means that when we add the formula to it, it won't eradicate any nutrients in the formula, but it will eradicate any uh, bacteria potentially that could be in the formula. Formula products are not made in a sterile environment, so there is always the risk of bacteria within them. By boiling the water, we ensure that the water source is sterile when we do it. So boil the water, leave for 30 minutes, add to your bottle. So if you're making up two ounces of formula, you put your two ounces of water into the bottle first. Then you add your scoops in your bottle, in your box, I should say, of formula. In the corner section, there will be um, a little bar. So this is like a leveling bar, or you can simply use the back of a knife. So you scoop up, you don't compact, uh, you level it, and then you do a scoop in. In Ireland, we do one scoop to one ounce. However, in other countries, you need to be very careful and follow the, just the um, guidelines on the back as it can be sometimes one scoop to two ounces of water. So just to be sure. When you add the formula powder to the bottle, you swirl, shake and you disperse any of the powder within the water. Be careful not to shake too much because this can lead to more air going into the bottle. If your baby is very gassy, a little tip, use a kind of sterile spoon or the end of the spoon, just uh, mix it together. This prevents adding too much air into the formulas. Lid on, and then you can cool it down. Just check on the back of your wrist for temperature and feed your baby happily. I think Katie deserves a round of applause for this. Before we move on, a word from our sponsors. When choosing your antenatal care journey, you need a team that you can trust. Here at Evie, we offer personalised, multidisciplinary care in a state-of-the-art environment, ranging from consultant care high-end scanning and prenatal testing, to expert advice on diet, exercise and mental health. Our team of world-class consultants in obstetrics, gynaecology and paediatrics provide the highest standards of care for you and your baby. Contact us today on 01 293 
3984 or visit our website at ev.ie for more information. Evie, a game changer in antenatal care. And we're back. A huge number of listeners ask about what is the best bottle to use for my baby. So do you want to address that, Katie? Yes. So from the moment you end up being pregnant, you're going to be looking at different types of bottles if you are planning on bottle feeding. And honestly, it comes down to, for the majority of mothers, what they've been recommended by uh, other friends and family. For some babies, they will prefer a smaller, narrow base with a longer teat. But what we're looking at is how our babies are fed. So just to reiterate, we kind of look more pace feeding. And this is both for if we were giving a bottle to a breastfed infant and all babies that are being formula fed as well. This helps babies regulate their feeding and kind of self-regulate their feeds rather than taking in too much. So how do we do that? Imagine if you're sitting with your baby in your arms in a more seated position, allowing the bottle to enter the mouth, going aiming for the roof of the palate because this initiates the suck reflex, and then keeping the bottle in a more horizontal position rather than um, vertical. When we do this, it allows the babies to kind of more regulate the flow of the milk. And then if they slow down and they're sucking, that we just tip the bottle back down again. This kind of reduces the incidence of babies overfeeding. So my answer basically is it is honestly dependent on every baby when it comes to the bottle type. I'm actually more looking at the flow preference. So keep the flow nice and slow. And just to reiterate that as babies get older, we don't actually necessarily need to move our teeth sizes up. So for some you will find that they might get frustrated and a bit fussy. And fairness, in that situation, we might move up to a size two teat. But otherwise, if baby is happy, content, feeding away, then just because your baby's hit a certain age, we don't need to change up to the next teat size. Brilliant answer to those questions. And thanks very much, Katie. This brings us to the end of episode three. Thank you so much for listening and see you next Tuesday. Right back at you, Afif. That's all for this episode of The Baby Tribe. We hope you found the information and advice we shared to be helpful and informative. Remember, every baby is different and what works for one may not work for another. Trust your instincts and don't hesitate to reach out to your local healthcare provider if you have any concerns or questions. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating or review. This will help others discover the Baby Tribe podcast and benefit from the information we provide. We'll be back next week with another episode, so be sure to tune in. Until then, take care of yourself and your tribe. Thanks for listening.